Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're tuning in, whenever you're tuning in across the globe, we are delighted that you have chosen to uh, spend your time with us today to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to exalt him, which is our purpose for gathering. Uh, as you can see, we are not in our normal venue today. We are re having to record in my office at UCM. Our, uh, as, as most of you know by now, our team has been affected by the pandemic, either with COVID or, or in quarantine. And so uh, my wife and I are the recording team for the week. Forgive the recording. Forgive the, 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 maybe the lesser than uh, normal quality that we produce on Sunday morning. But we are thankful that through our technology, we are able to continue to produce and to uh, try to encourage the body of Christ at Union Church of Manila through this venue. Uh, before we move on, I, there's a few things I'd like to draw to your attention. Number one, as you saw in our sermon before the video, we had one last week and this week as well. We are each week taking a little bit of time to highlight some of our values that are UCM. We're, we're talking about being united in Christ, and, and these little videos come from different members of our congregation, comprised of the diversity of our congregation in age and, and uh, cultural backgrounds and, and maybe even uh, denominational backgrounds. And, and we talk about how we are united in Christ each week. And we just give a, a little bit of a testimony. So those are some things you can see in the next coming weeks as well as we continue to talk about being united in Christ. But then secondly, I want to draw your attention to our online fellowship. It's our gathering that is immediately after, if you're watching this live, it's immediately after our, our live service. It starts at 10 and goes to 11 where different members of our congregation gather together just for Sunday fellowship. Our, obviously, our fellowship hall isn't open, and so we can come together. If you'd like to receive prayer, there's a prayer room for you. If you, if you just want to be encouraged and, and talk to different UCM members as you would do on a Sunday morning, you know, get your cup of coffee, and, and we gather and we talk together. And certainly, I'll be in that room this week as well. And so uh, we invite you to come and, and to join our fellowship time together online. Third, I, I want to thank the congregation for your generous response to Typhoon Odette. Uh, we are so blessed at how the UCM community stepped up, and, and we are taking what you have given to help feed a 1,000 families for two weeks. All these resources will be distributed in 17 ultra-poor communities in northern Palawan that were heavily impacted by Typhoon Odette. In addition, UCM Feed Our Streets program is going to offer 50 cavans of rice that will help feed these communities as well. So our ICM partner decided that they are going to also include printed Bible booklets for each family that we are giving these foods, this food to. This was given uh, by a private donor. And so I, I love this, that word is going with provision, the word of God going with the hands and feet of God at Christ. And so we are so delighted that you have been a part of that. Now, some people have asked how you can make in-kind donations, and, and we've partnered with Mission House in Makati. They are accepting different types of donations. We, we're providing the address on the screen and the times where you can drop certain items off. They have also provided instructions as to how these items should be packaged, 
what items are needed and, and all the details about how you can contribute. So before bringing anything over, the best thing I think is to contact the, 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 the people that are working for Mission House. Their names and phone numbers are on the screen and, and we would encourage you if, if you'd like to give in kind to reach out to them. Finally, if you'd like to make some sort of financial contribution through UCM, we are still currently accepting donations and, and, and we're still distributing those funds to help the, the victims of ODET. And there are some details on the screen as to how you can continue to contribute financially. Now, the next item, before we get into the messages, I just want to take a moment to congratulate Millie and Murr Manessas. They have been married for 50 years today. Today is their golden anniversary. And so as a congregation, if you know Millie and Murr, reach out to them. They, they have been a part of our UCM community for many years, have served the Lord faithfully in this church, and now they are celebrating their golden anniversary. We uh, thank the Lord for their faithfulness to one another and their good, that God's goodness to them has reigned through their lives and that they are blessed to be able to have this 50th wedding anniversary. And we pray the Lord's blessing on them in the years to come as well. Finally, we are entering into our second week of our UCM series called Regarding UCM. And we are looking at the first UCM value that we call United in Christ. Last week, we started examining the first one, and this is our second week of four weeks examining that value. And that value basically says this, we are an international community from diverse backgrounds, cultures, and denominations bound together by our common commitment to exalt the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, as our first of four weeks on this theme, we noted last week that our commitment as a church to exalt the person and work of Jesus Christ is supreme. That's what we do. We come to exalt Jesus Christ. But this week, we want to look at the second part of that value, and that is the unity of the members of the church that, that we are to understand and that we are to embrace. And notice what it says. It says we are an international community from diverse backgrounds, cultures, and denominations. And I, I want you to look at this. It says, and we are bound together. That, that's really what we want to land on today. We are bound together. See, our statement reminds us that although there should be diversity in our midst, that we come from a lot of different backgrounds, we remain fully united and bound together in our commitment and our work to exalt Christ. And, and so if you have a Bible today, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that is going to help us understand this idea of our unity in Christ. So take out a Bible and follow along with us. Let's pray as we enter into our time of study together. I'm going to pray the prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 32. It says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain. May my speech distill as the dew like gentle rain upon the tender glass and grass, and like showers upon the herb. 
For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. Lord, may your greatness be given today. Amen and amen. Well, the year was 1993. It was summertime, and I was a college student who was home from summer break in in Colorado to, to, to be with my family for the summer break. And at that time, in 1993, World Youth Day came to Denver. And in World Youth Day, over a million Roman Catholic youth gathered in Colorado as a a movement to promote youth within the church. And this massive gathering was on TV every day, moment by moment. The media coverage was devoted to it. And so, uh, you you know, being home and not having much to do, I I turned, tuned in to hear what was being discussed. And, and, And quite frankly, I can't remember much of the content of that week. But I do remember the theme song that was played over and over again. It's, it's permanently embedded in my mind. And, and the song went like this. It said, just it was a very simple tune and a very simple lyric that was given over and over again. It says, we are one body, one body in Christ. And, and we do not stand alone. We are one body, one body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. It was played over and over again. And as you watch that, what what was embedded in my mind that over a million people were gathering at that event, filled up entire fields that were just a sea of people who have gathered together and they were singing, we are one, we are one body. There was an aerial view that was given. Helicopters would fly over it and and the song was being sung. And I, I remember thinking, that this was a powerful image connecting so many people who have gathered all in one place as being united in one for, uh, as one force. One body existed in the midst of diversity, gathered for a common purpose. That image still sticks in my mind today. And I, I thought, you know, you get those million people working together for a common cause, whatever religious, whatever political, whatever social event that is called for, indeed, that is powerful when the many become one, one body. You know, that body language is used to describe the church It's not something new. Of course, it was given right after Jesus' death and resurrection. The early church used that body of Christ imagery quite regularly. In fact, it was one of the most common metaphors given to describe the church. it's It's all throughout the New Testament and even throughout the earliest Christian writings. And unknown to most people, the imagery was not unique to the church. In fact, it was language that was already familiar to the Mediterranean world. And it was already embedded in the cultural and, and in the uh, cultural context and in the, in the language of the day. However, the metaphor, as it was used culturally, was ordinarily used uh, to urge members of the society and the subordinate classes to stay in their places, to remain in their part of the social order and not to upset the sort of the natural equilibrium of the day. In other words, it was used by the politicians to encourage people not to rebel against their superiors, but to sort of stay in their humble and low places. 
the good parts of the body, even if you're just the lowest part of the body, remain loyal to the government. Well, the biblical writers are going to take similar imagery, but use it in quite a different manner. They're going to offer a much more noble and an encouraging message. They're not trying to keep people in their social class, but they wanted to remind all the people in the church that they needed to be involved in using their gifts and, and that every last one of those gifts and every last person in the church was incredibly valuable and incredibly important to the work of Christ. That everyone, even with the smallest gift, was endowed with such a special purpose to continue the wonderful work of Jesus Christ on this earth after he had left and gone to heaven. They were a part of it, even those with the smallest talents. And, and before we get into the text today in 1 Corinthians 12, I want to just point out some of the central reminders for the church that came out of the body metaphor, some of the theological emphases that we can make or connections that we can make with the body metaphor. Number one, the, the first idea when we use this body metaphor is that the church is vast, that we are committed to something larger than ourselves, larger than our limited perspectives. And in this vastness, we need to think beyond ourselves and beyond our own needs and beyond our own functions. Now, for the politicians of the day back in the ancient world, they would argue that the empire or the nation is vast beyond the scope of the average person in the village or, or the average commoner could comprehend. So they used the body image. But to even a greater degree, we understand that the church is vast in its function, in its composition, in its diversity, and in its objective. It is made up of a vast composition of variety of people. In fact, the human body said it's made up of over 50, 50 trillion cells which enable it to do millions of functions at any given moment. All the things that are going on in the body right now. And, and one cell, one minute cell of those 50 trillion cells in the toe cannot fully grasp the cell in the head and what's going on. But we know each cell, and e even the ones we will never see, are vital to the task. And Jesus even makes this comparison in Luke chapter 13. He talks of the church starting in a single mustard seed. And, and then it grows large enough for the birds of the air to nest in it. We can make our faith so individualistic. And, and we can forget sometimes that we are multiplying and we are expanding and we are vast. As we speak, we forget the vastness and the greatness, the expansiveness of what we are a part of. Uh, oftentimes we talk about our personal faith and often forget our place in the massive system that God has in place all over this planet. Comprised of billions of believers that are carrying out his purpose. It is exciting 
to be a part of something so vast and so powerful as the body of Christ, as the church. But secondly, the body metaphor reminds us that the body is also sacred. We call the body the holy church. Why? Well, Christ is the head and the church is the manifestation of his body. He is intimately connected to it. Thus, Peter writes to the church in Asia Minor, reminding them that they are a holy people. Why? They're connected to Christ. They're part of the body of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, that Christ presents the church as holy, that the church's living and present uh, activity of Christ in the world today. And when you see the church, the people of God in action, you are witnessing the presence of Christ in the world. He is the head that is seamlessly connected, and we carry out in the world what the mind of Christ is through our activity in this world. By the way, Parenthetically, this is why we need to be careful about the language we use to describe the church. We, we, we don't talk about the church in flippant terms. We need to be careful about our criticisms of the church. We need to be careful about our attacks on the church. On social media, we attack anyone and everyone these days. And it seems as though the church is often the punchline. Beloved, we are part of the sacred and holy body of Christ. The church is not just another social club or political entity. We call very few organizations in this world holy today. But because the church represents the very body and presence of Christ, we need to be careful of our language. We need to be uh, full, um, give our full affections towards this body. We are part of the holy church. And wherever the church exists as a people of God, we understand that it is the holy body of Christ with Christ at the head. The third reminder from the body of Christ metaphor is that the body is efficacious or it is a powerful organism on the planet, that it's in movement, that it's in motion, that it is active, that it is working, that it is doing, that it is continuing the actual physical work of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look in John chapter 14, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his authority. He's talking about the things that he is doing, but then he empowers his disciples. Notice what he says. He says in verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And notice he even says, and even greater works. Why? Because you are the body of Christ, the continuing work of Christ. And as that work expands, it, notice it, it, it will do even greater works. It'll, it'll expand throughout the globe, continuing the very work of Jesus Christ. It is efficacious and it is a powerful organism. You see, when we look at the church, we should see an active and continuing movement of Christ. We should see the body mechanics in motion, and the exertion of Christ in movement. The church is not merely a gathering, although I believe that this is an important part of the church. In fact, that's what church means. It means the gathering or the coming together. But the body metaphor reminds us that it is to continue the active, powerful, physical work of the kingdom of Christ's body with the power and presence 
and activity of Christ in it. It is the continuing work of Christ and the body of Christ. And, and then the fourth reminder from the body metaphor is that Christ is present in that body. In fact, you know, in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives the great commission to the disciples. And he says this, that his final words to them are, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Well, of course, this makes perfect sense if we're thinking in terms of a body. A body can't get away from its head. You can't have one without the other. You can't just have the head over here and the body over here. No, they are intimately attached this means that Christ is presently with us, that we are inseparably, inseparably attached to one another. Christ is here. Christ is among us. He is our head, and we are intimately attached with him. And finally, the, the last matter, the metaphor that I want to look at and where we want to land today is the, the body metaphor reminds us of our unity we are united in Christ. Unity and cooperation must exist in various members of the body. And, and, and so if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we want to flesh this out a little bit today. Notice what Paul says in verse 12 and 13. He says, for just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I want you to notice the five ones that are given here. You have a couple in verse 12. He says, the body is one. And then he says, one body. Verse 13, he says, one spirit. Verse 13 again, he says, one body again. And then he goes back and says, one spirit again. But then Paul uses a play on words. Drop down to verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Notice how he says, he says, okay, we've been one, 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 the body is one, the body is one, the body is one. And then he says, but, but the body is not made of one. It's made of many. So he uses one, one, one. And then he says, in all of that oneness, there are many diverse parts. There are many elements. There are many different roles. There are many different approaches. There are many different cultural variations. And this was important to communicate to the Church of Corinth and, and the general early church because there were so many factions that were beginning to emerge in the early church. And, and Paul wants to explain to this, uh, this nascent body of believers that, that, that the body doesn't have all these divisions and splits, but that we are one in Christ. We are one body. See, there were divisions on who the church would follow, what they would practice, what holidays they would observe, what feasts they would eat at, what kinds of food they would even eat at those feasts where they should buy their food, who held the most important jobs in the church service, how they would conduct a church service, what was the most important thing to get done in their work, on and on, division after division. I, I guess sharing many of the similarities that we struggle with 
in the body of Christ today. All of these things were tearing the body apart, and, and not only in Corinth, but many other churches in the area. And Paul uses the body metaphor to remind the church to work together, to partner together, to cooperate in order to carry out the work of Christ in the world. So I, I want you to go back to our text back to the beginning of the chapter, and notice the context to which he describes this body language, or the context for using the body metaphor. I want you to look at verse 4 through 7. Notice what he says. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of servants, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all uh, powers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation uh, of the Spirit for the common good. Notice the first element that Paul talks about in this unity here is the diversity of resources that are given to make the body work well. Notice the verse, the words he uses here. In verse 4, he says, There are a variety of gifts. And then he says in verse 5, there are a variety of service. In verse 6, he says there are a variety of activity. Notice all of the varieties that he's given. But then drop down to verse 11. He says all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice what he says. He says that they are all empowered, underline that, and they are all apportioned, underline that, individually by the will of the Spirit. They are all coming from the same Spirit. All these resources, gifts, services, activities, where is the source? It is not coming from a variety of sources. It's coming from one source. It is coming from the Spirit of God and all empowered and all are uh, portioned by the same spirit. It, you know, I, I, if we can illustrate it this way, uh, imagine the spirit. I, I mean, just to put it on sort of human terms, imagine the spirit of God and he's passing out different gifts and talents and, and, and acts of service and, and abilities. And, and, you know, as the spirit is doing that, he comes along to Chad Williams and he says, you know, I'm going to make Chad this way. And uh, let's see, what tools do I have in my tool belt that I'm going to give him? I'm going to give him these abilities for my body. So he hands me those gifts. And, and, and he says, you know, but th this is the, uh, these few I'm going to give him. I don't want to give him all of the gifts. In fact, it, you know, what I, I'm going to do is I'm going to go and, and there's this guy by the name of Pastor Noah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to give him some of these other gifts. I'm going to give him this other talent that I'm not going to give to Pastor Chad. So Pastor Chad's going to have to go to Pastor Noah and say, hey, I, I need you because I can't do this thing, but you can, and, and you can't do this thing, but I can do it, and so we can kind of do it together. Not that I couldn't use that gift. I would love to have that gift, but I need Pastor Noah. And then what he says is he's passing out those gifts. He says, okay, Pastor Chad has those. Pastor Noah has those. Now I'm not going to give either of them these other gifts. I'm going to give them to different people around them. You know, we don't want them to become too proud or too important. 
So that, that we want them to value all of those people that will be working with them, around them, and, and, and will help them, and they will need them to help get the work done. So I'm going to pass out those gifts to someone else. But I want you to notice a few principles here when it comes to the distributing of the gifts into the body of Christ by the Spirit. Number one, notice He's not passing out the same gift to everyone. You know, if you're on a credit construction site, he wouldn't be saying, okay, you, Pastor Chad, get a hammer. You, Pastor Noah, get a hammer. You, so Bob, get a hammer. You, Sally, get a hammer. He doesn't go hammer, 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 hammer. He doesn't pass out the same gift to everyone. But then secondly, he is not passing out every gift to one person. He doesn't look at Chad, Pastor Chad, and say, you know, I'm just going to give him the whole tool belt. You know, he's the pastor, so I'm going to give him everything. I'm going to give him the hammer and the drill and the saw and the cement mixer and the screwdriver. Every tool there is, I'm going to give it to him so Chad can build the house all by himself. We don't get them all. He doesn't say that happened. The only one who had all of them was Christ. Why? Because he was perfect, and they were part of his perfect body. But we are not given all of those gifts. But the third principle here is that each person is assigned something that's unique to them. To the individual church members, he says, you know, now you're going to get a hammer, and you're going to get a saw, and you're going to get a screwdriver, and you're going to get a leveler, and you're going to get a paintbrush. To each member of the body, he goes to each one of them, pulls out of his tool belt, and says, now you get this, 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 and he hands them something to help build his kingdom. But, but the fourth principle, I want you to look at what it says in verse 7. Well, the end of verse 6, he says he, says he empowers all in everyone, underline that word, everyone, and then he says, to each, in verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So he gives each person something for the common good, right? We, we cannot think, as we are sitting in church, or, or sort of being a part of the body of Christ, well, he, you, you know, he, I, I didn't get anything. I didn't get a tool from the Lord. We can't think that somehow he forgot us or kind of passed us by or forgot to give us something. Or we can't think that we don't have a role, that we just need to sit it out because we haven't been given anything. No. Do you see the wording here? He says to each, to everyone is given. You have a tool that God has apportioned to you and then empowers you when you put that tool to use for the kingdom of God. Finally, I, I want you to notice their origin. It, it says here that our gifts have divine origins. It, you know, they're not from your local hardware store, but it says that they are apportioned, that they are given, that they are empowered by the Spirit. Now, that in and of itself is amazing. Listen, if the Spirit of God has passed out gifts to everyone who is in the church, we should look at each other's tools and go, wow, that's amazing. Look at this. We should be rejoicing at all of the tools that we have been given. You know, men oftentimes get together and we, we talk about tools. You know, you put a bunch of men in a garage with tools and, oh, yeah, that's nice. Ooh, look at that one. And we polish them. We make them all shiny because our tools are important to us. As a church, 
We should be celebrating the tools that we have been given that are in our church belt, our church tool belt that are all around us. We should be delighting in the tools and the gifts that one another has in the body of Christ. And we should be united in that celebration. You see, the Spirit of God has given some amazing resources to us. And we should marvel at them and be thankful that he has given them to us. You, you know, our church in, in California was uh, working at a Christian camp up in the mountains of California. And uh, uh, this, uh, I'm there and I'm on a shovel and I'm digging. And this guy brings out the biggest chainsaw I have ever seen. And automatically, I sort of go into the macho mode. I go, oh, yeah, you know, the smell of the power stroke engine as it's running, the noise of the motor revving, the giant branches being cut in a single swift move. And my first thought is, oh, I got to have one of those. I want one of those. That thing is huge. That is, that's amazing. Well, I would probably kill myself or lose at least two body parts or limbs or destroy a dozen cars in the general area before I ever got any part of the tree down. I'm probably not the guy to be given this massive chainsaw. And while it was an amazing tool and I can celebrate how effective and powerful the tool was, it's not the right tool for me. You probably need to keep me on the shovel. I'm pretty safe there. But I can celebrate that tool. I can celebrate the one using that tool. I loved watching that tool in action because it got the job done. And it was an amazing, amazing tool. The tool wasn't for me, but I should delight that it is present. That's what we should do in the body of Christ as we see a variety of different tools that have been given. See, God has gifted every member of UCM with a tool, with his gifts, to carry out a variety of service and a variety of activity in his kingdom work. And we need to rejoice in each part. We need to look across the landscape of the church and say, the Spirit has given that person a tool, and I am so excited about it. The Spirit has given us all of these tools. What a wonderful gifts we have. There are so many effective tools in our midst that have been handed to us by the Spirit of God. We have a fantastic tool belt, and we praise the Lord. I put number one, if we are going to be united in Christ, we need to celebrate the diversity of our gifts. We need to celebrate the diversity of our gifts. And the more gifts that are present, the more we can thank the Lord that he is handing them out in our midst, Diversity in gifting is a wonderful thing. In Corinth, the, the church that Paul is writing to here, the people didn't understand the origins and the purposes of other people's gift, and they became suspicious of them. They became defensive. Sometimes they became critical. No, no, that's the very opposite of what should unfold in the body. We thank the Lord for handing out so many diverse tools, which enable us to embark on so many more projects. UCM, we need to celebrate our diversity in our tool belt. Those, that, uh, those gifts that have been given by the Spirit, and we get the Spirit-made tools. We get to watch those Spirit-made tools in action. But keep in mind also that we've been given all these tools. We've been handed all these tools. Every one of us has been handed a tool. 
that has been empowered and apportioned by the Spirit of God. So keep in mind, if a tool has been given to you by the Spirit of God, what do you need to do with it? <laughs> you are given a tool to use it. I want you to draw back to verse 11, what he says here. All of these are empowered by one. You are empowered with the tool, not to put it on the shelf, but to use it. Drop all the way down to verse 27 towards the end of the chapter. After this discussion on the body of Christ, Paul says this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He says, you've been given all of these tools he, he, he does, and he doesn't give us all of these tools and all of these gifts and then tell us to hold on to it and, and, and sort of look at it and just polish it every now and then and set it on the shelf so you don't do harm to it or, or wait until we know how to use it perfectly so dust gathers on it. He's, if he gives us gifts and then he empowers us, he apportions the gifts to us, he hands it to us and he empowers us to use it. We should put that tool in action. And he says, you're a part of this. Every one of us, you've been given a tool, you've been empowered, now put it to use. And I guess my question for all of us this morning, for myself and you alike, it's a simple and it's a direct question, is how are you using what was given to you? How are you using what has been given to you? Perhaps some need to start putting their tools to use. Now, I don't know how. Maybe you need to start a new SDG with friends from work and to use your tool. Maybe some need to use their medical skills. We have so many medical resources in our congregations and, and use them in a variety of different missions projects to help the less fortunate. Maybe some need to use their teaching skills to minister to our children, our children in our community. Maybe some need to simply start sharing their faith. But I don't know what you might be need to be doing, and I don't know what tools have been put in your belt, but I fully believe that he wants the diversity of gifts in the church to be used and fully utilized for the advancement of the kingdom. The church is beautiful when everyone is using their gifts, and he didn't give them to us just for our personal use. He gave them to us for kingdom building, for body activity, for body movement that he would carry out in us and through us. And quite honestly, if you look across the landscape of the body of Christ, sometimes there's, there's a lot of dusty tools there. And the need in our world is vast. The, the need in our city is even vast. And, and, and so I guess the question for all of us are, how are you putting your tools to work? I know that there are so many challenges in our current pandemic, but maybe you need to start thinking and praying that God would show you your tool and how to use the tool that he has given you. I know sometimes that's complicated and I don't want to be flippant about it, but as we seek his heart, we also seek his tools for us and how to use them. That's part of being a part of the body of Christ and growing closer in Christ. See, the UCM spiritual gift inventory class is going to even be going again sometime this year. And, and, and I would encourage it, you to enroll in that. It, it, it helps us discover what our gifts are and, and how to use them. See, I think if we are going to be a thriving and vibrant and active community of faith, the active and thriving body of Christ, 
here in Makati in the years to come, we should be filled with people who are continually seeking their giftings and their tools and the way to use those wonderful gifts that God has given us. Number two, jot it down this morning. We need to be committed to using our gifts. We need to be committed to using our gifts. I, I love to tell the story of a, a guy by the name of Kent Lewis. I, I've told it to our staff multiple times. He wrote songs for the uh, songwriter and uh, famous musician John Denver, and he, he played mandolin and fiddle for him. And one day I found myself at a concert and we were at a country western sort of gig where I was playing a rhythm guitar and, and, and this guy next to me, I couldn't help but admire the talent that was next to me. He was amazing. I'd never heard somebody play so well on a fiddle or a mandolin. And, and afterwards, I, I just started a conversation with him. And I, and I said, you know, Kent, have you ever thought about using that amazing talent for the Lord? And he said, you know, I haven't been in a church in years. And I said, well, uh, you, you know, I, I lead a worship band at our church. We, why don't you just come and practice with us sometime? We'd love to just have you play with us. And so he did. And then after he played with us, I invited him to play in our service one time. And he started following Jesus. And he played with us nearly every week and, and began to use his talent at different men's retreats where we would play and in our own church every week. And, and he came to this point where he loved talking about using this gift that God had given him for the Lord. And I thought, you know, here is a guy who was in his 60s at that time, whom God had gifted incredibly. And for so long, this tool was used to make incredible music, but now it is being brought into the body and is being used powerfully to build the kingdom, powerfully to influence people and lead them to Christ. He has Christ movement now in that gift and in that tool that God has given him. And what he was a part of was this body of Christ. Is, is your gift on the shelf or is it in motion for Jesus? Finally, last thing, I want to look at Paul's final exhortation here. It's rather lengthy, but I think it's an important part. Re read it together with me. Look at what it says in verse 15. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the whole body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need for you. Underline those phrases. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There are many ideas that we could parse in these verses, but I want you to notice the central idea that Paul conveys here. 
See, in the church of Corinth, many people were saying, you know, my part is the most important part. My gift is the most important gift. My tool is the most important part. Uh, What I do is indispensable. What you do is marginal. You're not all that necessary. But Paul says, you can never say, I don't need you. He points to our desperate need for one another in the body. He says it twice. You cannot say, I have no need for you. He points to this, uh, the, the, the relationship that we need to have with one another. You see, your work, it doesn't work very well without the other part working. Therefore, you need one another. In Colossians, Paul says that we are in our diversity. We're knit together. That imagery is strong, isn't it? And if the knitting falls apart, and if it's not closely connected, we don't have much of a garment. We don't have a blanket. We don't have anything if we are not seeing the value in one another. See, it is our unique ability to come together, work together, weave together, that we are able to function properly. We desperately need each other. If you were all here on campus this morning, I would tell you to tell the person next to you, I desperately need you. Of course, Some might take that in the romantic sense, and I wouldn't want anybody to get slapped. However, taken in the proper context of how Paul describes the body, it is true. We desperately need one another. We function at our best when we are working with one another, when we are partnering with one another, when those are solid relationships, when our relationships are strong. If you were asked to build a house and you said, all I've got is a hammer, well, what kind of house would you build? You wouldn't get too far. You need to be surrounded by people with saws, drills, levels, sanders, every other tool that you can have to build a house. And the more tools that you have, the better your house will turn out. Stick close to the people around you as you build. Value them. Honor them. Even those who are doing the small things. Paul even says it right here, right? Give those ones that are doing the small things, that that sort of ignoble things, Give them more honor. Not a whole lot of recognition goes to that part into some parts of the body, but you, you better make sure that they are valued also in the body. Every tool is valuable, and you need everyone. As you put all of this together and you build with all these tools, you have something wonderful, the powerful living manifestation of the body of Christ. Last thing, jot it down today. We need to recognize our desperate need for each other. We need to desperately recognize our desperate need for each other. I, I tell our staff the story of Aesop's fable called Bundle of Sticks. I, I say it quite often because I think it's so important. And it, it's the story of a, a, an elderly man, and he had 10 separate sons, and, and, and they were quarreling, and they weren't working together, and they all wanted to do their own thing, start their own business, kind of get ahead of the other one. And uh, his father is disturbed by this. And so he goes to the, uh, uh, the brothers and he, he takes out a stick and he hands each one of them a, a rather lengthy stick. And, and, and he goes to each of the sons and he says, now, I want you to break your stick. And they each sort of break it over their leg and he goes down. Every one of them could break their stick. Then he, and then he comes back and he takes the same size of sticks and he puts a roll of string around it and he bundles it together and he takes it to the first son. He says, his son break the stick. He couldn't do it. Second son, son break the stick. You couldn't do it. All the way down, not one son could break that bundle of sticks. And Asaph puts in his last line of the fable, he says, in unity is strength. 
Beloved, it is in our unity that we see the full function of Christ. We see the full power of Christ on display, the full body of Christ that is thriving with activity and efficacy. When that unity falters, so does the body. Beloved, we are called to be knit together in the marvelous body of Christ. We are called to be united in Christ. Lord, thank you for bringing us together with a variety of gifts and talents and activities and acts of service in this place. I pray that you would knit all of that together to create some glorious portrait of your body, Lord, your hands and feet in movement. Be with us as a community of faith in the days to come, Lord. Knit us closer together moment by moment, all in our attempt to exalt you and to glorify you and to do the work that you have called us to do. Thank you for being a part of us that we can be intimately connected with you. Come and work among us in your name. Amen.